Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Thursday, January the 17th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, Brian Flores attempting to pillage the Patriots coaching staff. Say that five times fast. I'll explain how rare that is and why he might get away with pulling it off. Plus, your questions via the Twitter mailbag, unpopular takes, and an introduction into potential offensive coordinator, Chad O'Shea. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Tuned In, wherever it is you get your podcast from. As you guys know, that helps the podcast grow and get out to more Dolphins. So if you are a fan of the show, or even if you're not, go ahead and leave us a rating on the iTunes app there. Follow me on Twitter, at NFL. Follow the show, at LockedOnFins. Check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have become the household name in Miami Dolphins information, analysis, and news because we are blowing up this month. And again, very, very appreciative of that. We have more content for you guys every single day, including coaching staff predictions, as well as my piece, Pillaging the Pats, up there live right now on LockedOnDolphins.com. And last Last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and the Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. We got a somewhat quiet Thursday show, but that doesn't mean we don't have content. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. The first item on today's agenda is talking about this idea that Brian Flores is simply trying to take multiple coaches or staffers from the Patriots staff presently. And we all know that Bill Belichick has a very, very extensive coaching tree. And while the results may not be pretty, the fact is guys on that staff are in high demand for head coaching positions, but also for promotions to other teams around the league within the assistant realm of the NFL world. And what I mean by that is like a wide receivers coach, for instance, going up to offensive coordinator. And in the past, Bill Belichick known for being this ruthless competitor that only cares about winning, does not really care about relationships and developing them, and simply just being a good human. He is out there to win football games in a robotic manner, has blocked these coaches from doing that in the past, but it sounds like he or the Patriots or whoever is in charge of making that decision is open to the idea of letting these guys explore new pastures, and that simply just was not the case in the past. We've heard about the consultant with Brett Bielema being a possible option as Dolphins defensive coordinator. Now it's being rumored that he could be a possible consultant in Miami, a guy that oversees the operation before they hand it over to Green Bay Packers linebackers coach. Green Bay Packers linebackers, that's hard to say. Before they hand things over to Patrick Graham to be the defensive coordinator, a young guy in his own right, they want to establish this older veteran type of staff ahead of them, like we talked about on yesterday's podcast. But the fact that he's being shopped or uh, afforded the opportunity to possibly go down to Miami is new, but also with wide receivers coach Chad O'Shea, and we'll talk about him a little bit more here in a minute. But you go back over this history of Patriots staffers leaving for head coaching positions across the NFL and college football landscape, they are not allowed to bring people with them. Charlie Weiss, 05, Notre Dame. Romeo Cornell, 05, Cleveland Browns. Eric Mangini, 07, New York Jets. Josh McDaniels, 09, Denver Broncos. Bill O'Brien, 2012, Penn State. And Matt Patricia, 2018, in Detroit. How many guys did they bring with them from the Patriots staff to those stops? 
zero all the way across the board. One, two, three, four, five, six zeros across the board for those guys bringing coaches onto their new staff from the Patriots. I was blown away by that because I started this project without any confirmation bias. I just wanted to get the information to myself and I found out that none of those guys brought staffers from the Patriots and just a quick aside here that I put in the column, you can find it pillaging the pats up on LockedOnDolphins.com right now, talking about the fact that the Patriots had this, I suppose, dearth, if you want to call it that, within the Belichick reign. And it's hilarious to call it that because they were 35-13 and 13 with two playoff appearances. And the one year they missed, they won 11 games. But the Dolphins' fantastic Wildcat season ushered them out of the postseason. But those three years of non-AFC championship appearances, whereas before that they were in the title game all the time, and after that they've been in the title game for eight straight years, that stretch came after the Patriots lost offensive coordinator Charlie Weiss, defensive coordinator Romeo Cornell, and then Cornell's replacement in Eric Mangini. So maybe taking away these Patriots staffers is the best way to take them down and you put them in Miami. That's even doubly good for the Dolphins and the rest of the AFC East, I hope. We shall see. Again, kind of grasping at straws. But nonetheless, it's very interesting because... It just hasn't happened in the past, and maybe that speaks to Brian Flores' competency, but also his likability, because we've heard from various sources that this guy is different. I'll go back to a Jeff Darlington tweet from the time the Dolphins did announce that they were going to go ahead and hire Brian Flores, or at least intended to. He said, I'm in Foxborough reporting on Patriots game, so I've gotten to chat with people about Dolphins target Brian Flores. One thing nobody exactly says but stands out, this is not your usual Belichick disciple. Disciplined? Yes. Stoic even. But not as, how should I put this, rigid? So is he different? I don't know. We'll find out on Sundays if he is because none of these former Patriot staffers that have gotten head coaching jobs even had a record over 500 until Bill O'Brien, I think, may have passed that threshold this season. But obviously there has not been success there. But that's why you want to look for these differences. And I think this is something worth exploring. And it's just so mind-blowing that they have allowed him to do this, whereas in the past, they did not. And one of the guys that Flores wants to bring to Miami with him from New England is wide receivers coach. He's been there since 2009, Chad O'Shea. And before I give you his profile a little bit, I have to play the sound clip here. Whenever I hear Chad O'Shea's name, this is what I think about. One of the best scenes in movie history. Briggs? Count it off. Oh. Ready? Set? Go! Of course, that is the little giant scene when Kevin O'Shea is the one that busts through his window trying to show his Little League football players how to tackle properly in his own living room. Just just the best. I love that. But anyway, let's talk about Chad O'Shea here a little bit, the possible offensive coordinator of the 2019 Miami Dolphins going forward. And who is Chad O'Shea? Well, I'll tell you about him a little bit. He was a former college quarterback at Marshall and Houston, and then he became a GA at Houston before getting promoted to a wide receivers coach and then tight ends and special teams there. And then tight ends, special teams coach, and recruiting coordinator before jumping ship over to Southern Mississippi to be a special teams coach and recruiting coordinator there. And then with Kansas City in 2003, a volunteer assistant, whatever the hell that is. And then 2004, 2005, assistant special teams coach with the Chiefs and then an offensive assistant in Minnesota, offensive assistant and wide receivers coach in Minnesota. And then he added a special teams assistant coach on that resume with the Vikings before jumping to the Patriots in 2009, where he became the wide receivers coach and he is still there. So this guy 
His career spans across the offensive side of the ball, receivers and tight ends, also special teams as well, recruiting coordinator background. So he has well-traveled several different stops, several different positions, several different titles. And the system that they run in New England, and while it's all under Josh McDaniel's branch and Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, so he really is the fourth guy in line there as far as having the say over the game plans and whatnot. But It is the Earhart-Perkins system, the same scheme that Adam Gaze runs, at least a variation of that. And that Earhart-Perkins scheme is so adaptable to different teams and different coaches. So you never really know exactly what it's going to be. But the entire scheme is predicated on being adaptable and changing yourself week to week to be able to best attack the opponent's weaknesses as well as take away the things they do best. So that idea is there. If Chad O'Shea does come down to Miami, we'll have more on that as the days unfold here. And next on the podcast, we have the Twitter mailbag, plus a potential seismic shift in the talent acquisition process. I'll explain that next here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingful NFL at Locked On Fins. Once again, a very packed Twitter mailbag, as you guys call, answer the call, I should say, every single week for me on the show here, so I appreciate that. And we're going to get right into that here in just one second, but before we do, I want to discuss a tweet that I sent out into the universe yesterday regarding the talent acquisition process of this team from the past and going forward and how we can apply that going forward. And this idea behind the tweet was that the Dolphins under Adam Gase were bound to one particular structure and one particular scheme, and they tried to force it regardless of the bodies they had. We obviously knew about Marvin Lewis poking fun at Adam Gase for not giving Sam Young help back in that Bengals game after Laramie Tunzel went out with an injury in that game. And that was kind of the idea the entire three years that Adam Gaze was here. Sure, in 2016, he was able to adapt a little bit and get Jay Ajayi on the outside zone a little bit more. And look at what the team did. They went to the playoffs that year and won 10 games. So being adaptable on a week-to-week basis is really what you want to be in this league. And no one does that better than the New England Patriots because I think the Dolphins for a long time, or most teams, have this snapshot of we're going to build this team for the season. And that's great if you have a plan and you can commit to it and you can execute it. It could work. It might not. But I know the best way to do things is to just acquire the best talent you can and then adapt your scheme week by week. And like the same principle in Stephen Belichick, Bill Belichick's father, the famed book Football Scouting Methods, talked about the number one thing you want to do is provide the most information for yourself on your opponent and how to attack their weaknesses and how to take advantage or take away their strengths rather. And that's the same principle the the Patriots have ran under Bill Belichick for two decades now. So that's the plan. I hope, I think that's what Brian Flores wants to bring to Miami. I think that could be Chris Greer's approach as well. So that's the hope. Hopefully they reinvent themselves on a weekly basis rather than try to force Danny Amendola and Mike Kosicki into the lineup because you have 11 personnel as your primary package and you got to make it work. So be adaptable. View it as a week-by-week snapshot, not a season-long approach. That should be the approach going forward. And going forward on this particular podcast for the Thursday, January the 17th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network, we have the Twitter mailbag. You guys once again wrote into the show. You heeded my call for these answers. Let's go ahead and start off with the first question, which comes from Noah with a brand new calendar at Noah's a dork. I know the offseason is actually a really busy time for you watching tape of draft prospects, etc. But what is your favorite old Dolphins game that you own? that you put on to feed your Dolphins nostalgia fix. The 
game that I watched a lot of was the 2005 Buffalo Bills comeback because I was a huge Chris Chambers fan and he had 15 for 238 and the game winning score in that one. But my favorite game of all time is the 2002 game at Denver when Jason Elam hit like a 58 yard field goal to give them the lead late. And then Jay Fiedler throws a near pick with his broken thumb and they wind up driving the field and kicking a field goal to win that game at the end. They moved to five and one that night and the very next day in school, they were number one in the ESPN power rankings and I was beyond elated back in 2002 so that one for sure 2002 at Denver next question here comes from Eric Gafford he is at GT Jarek with the possibility of tanking being a serious discussion topic is there any intel on what current players are thinking about this strategy I would think there could be a mass exodus you don't want that to be your process or be publicly known you can have this rebuilding effort in mind but if you're actively trying to lose games you are absolutely right, Eric. You're going to lose the interest of these young players who waste a year of their career for a tank job. Nobody wants to be a part of that. Not even Tua Tungavailoa would want a team to do that. So if you're going to do it, you better mask it and hide it and be discreet about it and not so open. Next question comes from Daniel Kolkata. At Daniel Kolkata, assuming the Dolphins have a subpar quarterback and need to run the ball a lot, how has Tunzel developed or will he or how will he have to develop as a run blocker? Look, he was fantastic last year in both aspects of the game. He pulled, he reached, he would get out in space. He did everything the Dolphins asked him to do and so much more. So he is polished and absolutely fine at left tackle. Next question comes from it's just the dolphin emoji. And he is at Sipsy13. If you were named GM of the Fins tonight, what would be your first three moves that you would make? Number one, draft Kyler Murray. I think we all know about that. Number two, I'd try to sign Trey Flowers. And number three, I would cut all that dead weight. Kiko Alonso, Andre Branch, on and on and on. All those guys that have to go. Danny Amendola, Devontae Parker, in case you want more examples there. And this next question here comes from Skytha, at Skytha. No idea if I pronounced that right. Which players do you think the O-line will require in order to provide Kyler Murray with enough protection for him to do his thing? Look, the whole idea behind Kyler Murray is that he can mask all these holes with his playmaking ability. Listen to the Move the Sticks podcast today, and Daniel Jeremiah talked about his conversation with a scout who said that Kyler Murray is the fastest guy he saw all year besides one player, the guy he was throwing the football to, Hollywood Brown. So he has elite speed, elite ability to escape pressure. I put some examples of that up on that column, which is pinned at the top of my Twitter timeline. If you want to check that out for some videos and examples, I mean, they're going to have to rebuild the offensive line on the interior, but the way you can kind of mask that in the interim is to just have Kyler Murray do his thing. Next question comes from Sean Snoozer. He is at Sean Snoozer. What offensive player outside of Drake stands to gain the most through his co- through this coaching change? I would say Jakeem Grant just because he never got used and he was he's already the best return man in football and he put some of that work on display on offense at the end of 2017 and the beginning of 2018. But for whatever reason, I know he's not a polished route runner. He's not a guy that can play the X position and be kind of translucent across the offensive formation, but he's an elite playmaker when you get the ball in his hands. So just do that. Just find ways to get him the ball and let him go. So I'll say Jakeem Grant for sure. Next question here comes from Zach Carey at Zach Attack 3733. With the new defensive scheme, are we going to see more press man with a deep free safety and more pressure, or will it be a lot of off coverage? They're going to challenge routes early, depending on the down and distance. Everything that Brian Flores is going to do if he is going to bring his Patriots 
principles with him is going to depend on the down and distance and the situation. So if it's a third and long and you're going to play dime or nickel defense, then you're going to play off. But they will create pressure. They'll have exotic blitz packages up the middle with the linebackers that do so much stuff with the pressure packages. They play a lot of cover one and cover zero. And a lot of times in those defense, you have to press and play tight. Now against the Dolphins and Ryan Tannehill, they played off and played coverage. So it just depends on the game and the situation and the opponent, Zach. But great question. Next question here is from Ocean Jackson at Ocean underscore Jackson. And then he actually amended that question and said that I answered it on yesterday's podcast, but I wanted to give you a shout out, Ocean, so I appreciate that. Next question here comes from Joseph L. Rendon. He is at Joseph L. Rendon. What would be the motivation for a coach like Darren Rizzi to stick around as a special teams guy, and what type of situation would convince him to move on to another franchise? I think he's probably a little bit hurt. I mean, there are feelings in this business that people tend to gloss over because it's supposed to be this ruthless cutthroat business that doesn't have feelings, but... He's been in Miami forever as the special teams coach. Maybe he wants a raise. Maybe he can find more money. Maybe he can find more power within another organization. Maybe he's mad that the Dolphins really kind of shook him off in this interview process. And yeah, they granted him the interview to begin with, but I don't think it was ever serious. So maybe his feelings got hurt. I'm not really sure that I know the answer to that, but I think that just finding a new situation would be the top option there for me, Joseph. Next question comes from Dante Antonelli. He is at Antonelli Dante underscore opinion on Easton stick the good and the bad a potential target I'll be honest with you guys haven't seen a single ounce of all 22 tape on him I watched the game against Eastern Washington and I like that he has a little bit of playmaker to him and some kind of big play ability but I know that he is struggling really really bad at the East West Shrine game according to the fellows over at the Draft Network who all do great work by the way you should follow all those guys but he's struggling during the week at practice which to me is not a good sign for him as far as his ability to climb the draft board because if he can't go to the senior bowl, doesn't get invited there, there's no way he's even a day two pick. So to me, it sounds bad right now, but we have a long way to go. And the last question here comes from Neil Bear. He is at Lickum Stickum 99. What a great handle that is. What is the actual probability we land Murray and not some guy like Greer? I'll tell you this. If we pass on Kyler Murray and he's on the board and we end up with Will Greer, I'm I might not even watch the season because Will Greer to me is like a poor man's Matt Moore. He just doesn't really have the requisite arm talent to play in this league. I know everyone got high on him because of the production and some of the highlight type of plays, but he's not an NFL trait quarterback. I don't think he'll be good at the next level. I think he's a backup at best. So if that happens, that'll suck. What's the probability? I would say high because I think Kyler Murray winds up going very high and I'm not sure the Dolphins want to trade up to get him. They could change that, I suppose, but I think right now they're content just staying where they are. So I'll say it's high that they don't get Kyler Murray and find someone else later on in the draft. All right, a very effective Twitter mailbag. Again, thank you to all you guys that wrote into that for the podcast here. We're going to take a short break and then get to some unpopular football takes and otherwise on the other side of the podcast here. Locked on Dolphins podcast at Wingful NFL at Locked on Fins. We're going to change things up here for segment number three on the Thursday, January the 17th edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. Things have come to a bit of a crawl as far as news is available. I can break down film for you guys every single day and be happy doing it. But let's go ahead and shake things up here a little bit. I put out another thread on Twitter asking for your guys' opinions for some unpopular takes, football or otherwise. And the reason I thought of this, there's a cool little sandwich place up the street from campus here at Washington State University, Tri-Cities in Washington State, obviously. 
and they sell this turkey bacon avocado sandwich, and I thought, yeah, I'll get that. I'm not a huge avocado fan, but I'll grab that. Sounds great. I ordered it, picked it up, brought it back to the house before I went back to class, and they put this avocado spread on it that was so much and so messy and so sloppy, and it it's tasteless. Now, I do like guac and chips, and I think that that only goes so far, but avocado on your sandwich or otherwise, let's just get this out in the open. My unpopular take, avocado is fucking overrated. It's not good. It's, it's just a thing that people do, and it does not taste good at all, and if you think it tastes good, get your taste buds re-examined. That's my hot take that is not going to be well-received, but I want to read off some of your guys' hot takes here. Football or otherwise, just going to go down the list. I probably won't get to all of them, even though you guys put some great responses I was able to look at during my class in the afternoon. Let's go with this one here from I hate that I can't hate the Miami Dolphins at Bleed Aqua and Orange. Football playoffs should be seeded by the top six teams, regardless of division. I actually like that a lot. I mean, I like the divisions and it's, it's very historical to me, but I like that idea because having a team with like nine wins play at home against a team with 11 wins is just stupid. So I agree with that one. And then life soggy fries are better than crispy fries. That's an interesting take. You guys got to get back to me on that one because I, I just love French fries. I think that I think the key here is what you put them in as far as sauce because everyone has differing opinions on that. I am team ketchup all the way. Next one here, and I said this one actually won the entire thread from Chris Delahunty. He is at C. Delahunty. Jeff Ireland wasn't a bad GM. And, you know, you might have a case there, Chris, because of the fact that the Saints have rebuilt that defense from the ground up under Jeff Ireland's wing. And then the second one is that Creed is a decent 90s rock band. That got seven likes on Twitter, so... Some folks might agree with you. I mean, I don't agree with that. Funny story for you guys, actually. Uh, Scott Stapp, the, the lead singer of Creed, whatever you want to call him, he owns a building that's like a half mile from my house called the Old Warehouse in Zilla, Washington. You guys should look it up on Google. It's hilarious. It's a furniture wholesale auction house. Like They actually do a real auction with a, gallet or a, a gavel and everything, and they have a restaurant and a bar in there. And it's also a stage that they perform on with musical guests, which I don't know who the hell wants to come to Zilla. There are 3,000 people in my hometown, or the town I live in right now. And he comes there and plays once in a while. And he charges like 50 bucks for a ticket. I really wanted to get in there and heckle him and just give him shit because I personally think he sucks. But I didn't want to spend 50 bucks to do it. But a very interesting place, a furniture auction, bar, restaurant place, all in one, owned by Scott Stapp. How weird is that? Okay, we're going to do one more, and then I'm going to get back into this on tomorrow's podcast, on Friday's edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. This one comes from Jersey Finn Fan. He is at Jersey Finn Fan. His football one, the Miami Dolphins are in the best position to take over the AFC East starting in 2019. I know you're a bit of a homer, dude. I love that take, even though I might not agree. I don't know. The rest of the division sucks, so it's not that crazy, even though you'll get flamed for that opinion on Twitter. And then his non-football one is that seafood is disgusting. And while I might not think that lobster and crab is the all it's cracked up to be, I, I hate having to crack open the legs to get in there. It's like more work than it is worth to eat the food itself. But sushi, you can't go wrong with that. I like seafood, but I can see that take because sometimes to me, it actually, the, the thought of it is like hot dogs where like eating it is gross to me because of how chewy and, and just it was underwater. Like what the hell is that? It's all weird to me. So I see your point, but there is a lot of seafood that I like myself. But we're going to get to more of those 
on tomorrow's podcast. I just ran out of time on here. I'm also thinking about doing some scouting type of verbiage or just a scouting tutorial as far as what I look for in players. If you guys are interested in that or not, I'm not sure, but I might do it because like I said, we're kind of short on content right now. But we'll get to more of that on tomorrow's podcast. As for today's show, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And if you have a smart speaker, you can tell your smart speaker to play Locked On Dolphins Podcast, a new feature we are now equipped for. Just say, play Locked On Dolphins Podcast. Also, check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat Podcast and Locked On NFL Podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on our Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Dolphins.